All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 53rd episode of High and Wide, a episode after the Flyers have been eliminated from the playoffs, the first episode since the Flyers have been eliminated. I'm Jim here with Kyle and Jack. Guys, we we were hoping for different circumstances this week, but uh, maybe we could kind of see the writing on the wall. The Flyers are eliminated. How are we feeling? I feel like... I don't think any of us fought for them to get to the second round of the playoffs or through the second round of the playoffs in the beginning of the year. So compared to the last five seasons, I don't feel too bad about the whole season as a whole. Yeah, long term, this is looking pretty good. Short term, Flyers march back and forgot to show up for game seven, which is always a shame. I mean, to get <laughs> shut out for nothing, that was, ugh, what a horrible game. That That sucked, but... They just looked like they didn't have anything, man. The whole team. They just no gas. They everything they had went into game six and the other half game they played in overtime. And when game seven rolled around and once those two goals went in, it was like, yeah, they're done. Yeah, they looked weird. And they looked weird in the Montreal series. Everybody was like, ah, uh, you know, they played a different system. They played a style to beat Montreal, or, you know, the the big guns will get it going at some point. And we kind of saw the same story against the Islanders. And we talked, I think it was last week. I don't know about you guys, but I had more questions than answers there in that series. I found myself questioning the coach, questioning the will and the the heart of some of the players, Sean Couturier, uh, Travis Konechny, who we'll get to in a little bit, Elaine Vigneault. I guess looking back, right after the game, and uh, I'll ask you guys the same. Uh, I felt positive still, you know, because it didn't look like they were going to win. If they won, it would have been a surprise, the same as it was in the overtime game where they were outshot by 30 shots. It was a surprise they won. I felt like, okay, we have, you know, we've been blessed with three more periods of hockey, Flyers hockey. I didn't feel like, okay, let's go win it now. You know what I mean? So I was just kind of grateful just to watch more Flyers. A week goes by and I'm feeling a little bit, you know, angry at some guys. And like I said, we'll get to that. But how did you guys feel right after the game? I was pissed. I was pissed about 20 minutes in when I realized they're just not even going to play tonight. But it didn't take me too long to calm down and realize that the Flyers are in a pretty okay position because Hey, we didn't get embarrassed 8-2 to Tampa in game one. Yeah, that was nice to see. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> when the game started, I was furious because we had that puck kind of trickle by and hit the post, and I was like, come on, we could have used that so bad. And so when the Islanders got the first goal, I'm like, here we go. And I could, you could see it coming, JVR blew his coverage, and it was a nice shot. Um, but all the same, he shouldn't have been there unmarked. And then the second goal goes in, and that was like that felt like a dagger, an early dagger. And I had my temper tantrum, and everybody left the room, and it was just me. But I watched these games standing up like the whole time. And by the time the second period was coming to an end, like I was already sitting down. And that don't happen. I stood up for the entire game six, and that was like five periods. You know, I was just like, they're done, man. I can't believe this. Like when they went down 3 0 to Boston and came back, they went th- down 3 0 in that game, and everybody talked about it. It was all over Twitter. And you know what? They showed more fight in that. 
there was not, they just looked out of gas. I don't want to question their, you know, their fight, but the energy was gone. Like they just, a couple guys here and there, but they just, they just didn't have it. And like you said earlier, Jim, the uh, first sign of anything bad was that Montreal series. That's when everybody's confidence was kind of like, what, what did we just watch? Like, what's the, you say, you mentioned their strategy. What was it? Survive? Like, cause that was not beating a team. They, they survived the team. I already didn't like them playing the Islanders. So going into this, I was just glad to see more hockey. I think you said that perfectly. We won every game we won was in overtime. Like we didn't want one game in regulation against these guys. Not even is that not the is that the definition of a survival? Like mm-hmm. it's it's unbelievable. And a lot of blown leads. One time they came back in game six. Game six is probably my favorite game of the series, but they were not they're just we you know what we lack that I really noticed? We lack our version of Matthew Barzell. When that puck was on his stick, he took over the shift. There's not one player in the Flyers who does that. And it really showed. And Lee looked great. And our guys that you lean on, they, they you couldn't lean on them. Very rarely. Like, Voracek had a game or two. You know, Drew, we were begging for him to score. I'm not going to get too on to guy, got young guys. Like, you know, Provo, well, Provorov was good. TK, younger guys, Farabee in and out of the lineup. You needed the guys making all the money who have been here forever to step up. And they couldn't. And it showed. And when it got to the point where the end of the series... If we got 20 shots, it was a good game for us. And that includes like an overtime. Meanwhile, Islanders are racking up 50 something shots and Boucher's hating on Hart, which was ridiculous. But we were clearly outmatched and we were lucky to get as far as we did. And Jim, you said it perfectly. I was happy to watch one more game of Flyers hockey. Yeah, that's what it felt like for me because you knew they were. If they weren't going to find their game in a game six elimination game, then what were the odds they were going to magically find it in a game seven? Like they were hanging on by the by the skin of their teeth in game six. Like they they really did get lucky. They bent a lot. Uh, Lawton had to score that goal to tie it, and then they got lucky really with the Provorov shot in the overtime. The Islanders dominated that entire game. They dominated really the entire series. You could say that the Flyers got lucky three times, really. I know we were all kind of saying seven games, but that could have easily been a five or six game series easily. I don't know. We're clamoring for the big guns, right? Almost three quarters of the playoffs. I think early in the Montreal series, everyone said, yeah, you know, a couple games, it's early. The big guns haven't gotten it, haven't gotten it going yet, but they're still winning. But we knew that they were going to have to come around eventually. And maybe we got a glimpse JVR scored two pretty goals. Giroux got on the board. Uh, Coots had a couple of uh, goals in that series. But, Jack, you kind of alluded to it with the Barzal. There's nobody on the Flyers offensively who, if you're the opposition, you're like, oh, shit, Barzal's on the ice. You know what I mean? And you know he's on the ice. If you're a fan watching it on TV, you know when he's on the ice because he's got the puck and he's going to do something with it. You look at the Flyers' roster – and there's not a player on the team who I'm like, yes, four checks on the ice. Here comes something. You know, a scoring chance of some sort. Not necessarily a goal every time, but you know there's going to be offensive pressure. You know, I mean, during the course of the year, we talk a lot about the depth on this team. And I think it's a strength. You know what I mean? It's, it's a good thing to have depth. But I think we kind of saw that a Stanley Cup contender needs that guy. 
I mean, look at the uh, look at the Lightning. They got like three of those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's insane. Look at, uh, I mean, Colorado came up short, but McKinnon was definitely that guy. If he got a little more secondary scoring, they're probably they were right there. You know, and Dallas, they they still got Sagan. You know, Vegas is like the only team that's got a mixture of like first and second line guys that just works out. But majority of the teams remaining in the playoffs had those guys. It was just a combination of older and younger. And, you know, if we had a guy like when Barzell was on the ice, I didn't just think, oh, there's going to be a scoring chance. I was standing up clenching my butt the entire time because I'm like, he's going to score. Like he's skating circles around this defense. He owned the back of our net. He just they just let him go. Whether it was he would just stop and turn back around, stop, turn back around. And nobody could do anything about it. They were just hoping for a bad pass. And a lot of times it was a, a on the tape pass. Here's Hart diving from the left to the right, and the puck's already in the net by the time he's diving, and everybody's looking around going, no, no. Like, it happened way too often in a seven-game series to the point where I don't know how it went seven games. I think that has a lot to do with, Kyle, you called it the collapsing defense, and maybe that's what it was, you know? Uh, But it just looked looked like they didn't want to skate. I was bitching about the collapsing defense in preseason. It was like bad, like noticeably like bad. Bad. I mean, your wingers were below the hash marks 90% of the time. And all they were doing was kicking the puck back up to the point. The wingers would then turn, skate real hard to the point for no fucking reason. And then they would pass back down low. And now there's all these holes because the wingers that are supposed to be at the hash marks and collapsing defense just tried to pressure the damn defensemen. And they were just repeat. Repeat, repeat. Every fucking line was just on repeat. And then you you add in a guy like you guys said, like Barzell, who will literally just skate around because the Flyers aren't pressuring him hard. So why the hell is he going to give up the puck? And anytime somebody does pressure him, he makes him look stupid. It was just a rough, rough series. Like, they made it to seven games. They had no business making it to seven games. No. We also no, no consistency from certain guys. I think I can pick three players, Go one ahead. forward, one defenseman, and the spoiler alert, Carter Hart's the other one, who for the most part played well oh. the majority of the series. <laughs> I thought you were going to blame Carter Hart. I was like, oh, no, shit. God, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll get to Brian Boucher and his ridiculousness in a minute. But, you know, Hart, you want to hate on some soft goals and shit? He was under siege the entire seven-game series, except for the game he didn't play. Um I think Kevin Hayes was the only one who brought it most consistently offensively. Even when he wasn't scoring, he his line seemed to be the only line buzzing. And Proveroff, he was the only, you know, and everybody's not perfect here, but those were the only three players that I think, for the most part, played pretty well throughout the seven-game series. I should have, if we're a championship-caliber team, I should be able to name you, like, two full lines of players and several defensive pairings. And obviously your goalie, I'm picking out three guys. Nobody else really strikes me as a guy who you could lean on that whole series and lean on is even, I use that loosely. Cause like I said, we don't have that Barzell before what we do have. Those are the three that I give them at least a, a B or a B plus for the series where everybody else really needed to do a lot more, especially the guys making all the money. Okay. So you picked out three, three good guys. I'm going to give you three guys that really disappointed me the most in not just this series, but I guess the playoffs overall. And the first player I'm going to pick out is Travis Sanheim. Yep. 
Um, I expected better from him. There was games where you wouldn't even really hear his name, and I was disappointed then. But then when you did hear his name, it was for negative reasons. You know, he uh, a lot of the same issues he had last year. He's a young defense. He's 23 now, I think, 23, 24. So not exactly a kid anymore. He's been in the league for, I think, two and a half seasons. Uh, I, I just expected better from Travis Sanheim. I, I'm not sure why they kind of waited to activate him, I guess, in the offensive zone or let him carry the puck through the neutral zone. We've been, we've been talking about it. He can fly. Like, give him the puck. Let him do his thing. Let him generate offense. You know, he's playing with Phil Myers. He could, he's a gazelle. Maybe it's, maybe it's just both of those guys are young and they wanted him to focus more defensively. But I was disappointed in the play, Travis Sanheim. It wasn't just this lack of offense. Like he made some bad decisions in his own end. And he, he was the one who would try to get the puck out of the zone and it wouldn't get out of the zone and would lead to a scoring chance. And a lot of times we'd get score on. He'd also make errors in judgment on where to be. He was him and Myers were guilty of this, but mostly Sandheim. He really had a rough series. So the odds of him really taking off offensively, especially against a team like the Islanders, were pretty slim. I guess maybe that stranglehold, you know, play that the Islanders had when you just don't have any room to breathe really affected Sandheim the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least offensively, and it really showed. And while that pairing that we leaned on in the past. They did ha- do a couple of good things. It was mostly bad. And if I'm picking who had a worse series, Myers or Sanheim, it's Sanheim, and I don't even have to think about it. Yeah, and I, like I'm really disappointed by that because I'm expecting big things from Sanheim. And how long is it going to take? You know, like for me, I'm not saying it's time to to panic or worry about him, but we don't need another ghost. You know, we don't need to be talking about Sanheim like a ghost. Once you start making more negative. Um, more negative decisions than you do positive. I, I like the, the, those are red flags for me, you know. So we'll, we'll see with Sandheim. I was, like I mentioned, disappointed, but I'm not giving up on the kid. No chance. Number two for me, a uh, guy that stuck out in a really, really negative way, uh, has to be Travis Konechny. So I kind of prefaced the episode this morning. I, I posted a couple things on Twitter about TK. And I guess what bothered me is, you know, we look at the big guns and we think JVR, we think Giroux, we think Voracek. And I'm like, well, it's kind of like not their team anymore. Like they're kind of getting the reins, hand, they're kind of handing down the reins a little bit. And for me, I'm looking at guys like Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, guys like Travis uh, Sanheim, Ivan Provorov. These are the next crop of guys. It's time to step up. I think when Elaine Vigneault was talking about the big boy pants thing, I think he was talking about the kids. It's time to get going. It's like they can't sit back and rely on Giroux, Voracek, JVR. This is their team now. It's time to step up. For Travis Konechny to score zero, zero goals since play came back is disgraceful. Like it really is. And I know he's a fan favorite, so everybody thinks – Oh, let's not talk about TK. He makes the funny faces and he likes to chirp everybody. Zero goals is not acceptable. I don't care. You're a top six forward. I could keep Especially going. Especially on the back of that new contract. Making five plus million dollars to score goals and that's it. He didn't score one. I got a problem with that. 
Yeah, and you absolutely should. You just don't like anybody named Travis. Um, it's travesty, but I mean, you're not wrong. Um, he's the guy, he's your spark plug. He's the guy when the season started, he went on a tear. Um, and for the most of the season has been pretty good. I had heard, I don't know if it's true. I was waiting to hear something afterwards that he may have had a shoulder injury, but to have zero goals when you add up the round Robin, uh, what, what we went six games and seven games, that's 17 games, zero goals. You can't win like that. You just can't. And that's why when I hear any criticism about Carter Hart, it just it's like eye roll, you know. You it's unbelievable that he we got as far as we did with him providing nothing. And yeah, he's still young. He's not like you know a guy we rely on. But yeah, the big boy pants comment, absolutely, absolutely, he's talking about that because that was Giroux and JVR back in 2010, and they made a difference. Giroux especially. He scored some huge goals in those playoffs in the Stanley Cup finals itself Absolutely. in overtime, mind you. Like he did everything he could, and we're just asking for anything out of these guys, and they couldn't provide it. And it it's one of the reasons why we were thoroughly outplayed, chased games, got chased from games, and that's why we're sitting at home. And it was honest, it was honestly amazing we went as long and as far as we did. Is Travis Konechny built? for the playoffs is he a playoff goal scorer you think is he a guy that's going to consistently score for you in the playoffs i gotta i gotta honestly see if he was really hurt if his shoulders hurt his legs still work yeah but that it really fucks your shot up big time if you can't fucking put any pressure on your shoulder it's also the way he plays the game too he's a little he's always throwing his body around and if you have an injury and you're undersized it's gonna tough. It's got to be tough to play your game. I mean, his mouth was working. We saw that, but I mean, to really do the rest of what he does, I mean, I barely saw him open. And when he finally did, he missed that, or he threw it right in the, right in the bread basket. Like, come on, like he wasn't like clanking off the post often at all. You know, almost like I didn't see any of that. You know, so it, do you think his game is built for the playoffs? Do you like think about some of the goals he scored in the regular season? Like I mentioned before a bunch of times, 19 of his 24 goals came 5v5. He's not going to get those 5v5 goals in the playoffs, I don't think, the way he plays the game. And he's not that big of a guy. I think if we played the Islanders every series for the playoffs, you'd be right. But like other teams where the ice is more wide open, Tampa, for example, and they're good. They have defensemen. It's just the way they play. Mm. I think that... I think that he would be better. I think he would see more looks. He would get into a, a rhythm, a groove, and just getting that first one, which he never got, that can get you out of a little bit of a slump too. But the Islanders just play such a unique <laughs> system. It just doesn't match the Flyers. Like I, I it, The only comparison I can think of is like Joe Frazier beat Muhammad Ali once, and Muhammad Ali destroyed... George, or beat George Foreman, but George Foreman destroyed Joe Frazier. Like certain styles just don't match up. And Konechny's especially, but also the Flyers, We a team like the Islanders, and you saw it because a lesser version of it was the Canadians, who had no business being in the playoffs, gave us all sorts of fits, all sorts of fits. And while, yeah, we beat them in six, would you really say we were in control of many of those games? Or we got ahead and just went into full survivor mode? Mm-hmm. And that's a team that shouldn't have been in the playoffs. So I think that certain styles 
don't match up well against the Flyers. The Islanders are the the one team, and I realize it more now than never. I'd rather play any other team than these guys. And I think that affects Konechny's game the most. So so the jury is still out for me on that question. He's still young, and he definitely did not get a good look because I believe when we played Pittsburgh, he was doing some scoring. Not that that team was really a playoff team, but hey, it was still the playoffs. Yeah, I don't know. I have doubts about TK now. Not not regular season TK. Well, after playoff, that series, I can't TK. blame you. Yeah, I just didn't see it from him. I didn't see really anything from him. And when a guy talks more than anything else and he's supposed to score, it starts to really bother me. You know, I I do enjoy that kind of style of player. But if you're not backing it up with your play on the ice and you're not out there dropping gloves, you're really just annoying, you know? So he bothered me a little bit. And I, I guess with the couple of days to think about who really bugged me on this team, he was at the top, he's at the top of my list. I don't know how you don't score one goal. Uh, so somebody made a comment about TK where Brad Marchand's kind of like the target kind of player and Brendan Gallagher's like the Walmart kind of version of you know, what a TK is, and then TK is like the dollar store version of those two guys. Jeez. You know what I mean? Because at least Gallagher's a gritty guy. He's going to get he's gonna mix, get it mixed up a little bit, put the puck in the back of the net. Marchand is like the elite kind of player like that. So TK is just a – if you're just going to talk, you're just a punk. And that's kind of how – TK's got to back it up, and he didn't. I know he's everybody's, you know, fan favorite, but just reality, man. We're looking at guys like Giroud. Giroud, when he was 23 years old, 20, 21 points in 23 playoff games, I think it was. Mike Richards, when he was 23 years old, 14 points, 17 playoff games. Travis Konechny at 23, 7 assists in 16 games played. Disappointing. We've got to hold these guys to higher standards. I know, they're, I know they're your favorite players, guys, but hold them to the same standards as everybody else. The third guy on the list... Jake Voracek, where'd he go? Played great in the in the uh, Canadian series. Put a couple pucks in the back of the net. Got him to the dirty spots. Plays up against the bigger uh, bigger Islanders team. Where did he go? He disappeared. I think he had one point in the series. We didn't hear anything from Voracek. Disappointed in him. I was really looking for him for uh, for energy for leadership. Didn't get on the score sheet. He got on got on the score sheet once. So disappointed in Jake Voracek. What do you guys think? I'm definitely disappointed in Voracek because he was one of the things, one of the um, veterans that we lean on when we talk about the playoffs going in the first round. And to have one point in a seven-game series where there was plenty of overtime hockey to add more periods, and he can't get on. And part of this is the power play itself because a lot of the guys we name play on the power play. And it, it's just embarrassing. Uh, he, he's the he's Drew's Robin, and he gets one point. Like, that's, again... You ain't winning with that. That's our number two guy. I'm going by contract here, obviously, but there's a reason he's making what he's making. Mm-hmm. And you need to see results. And one assist in a seven-game series is embarrassing. I don't care how good the other team is. This kind of goes for TK, too. you got to find a way. You're getting the ice time. You're getting the power play time. you got to score by mistake at that point. Like, come on. And and the one assist is is terrible. And, it's again, it's why we lost. And he doesn't... Bring too much else to the table. I mean, yeah, sure. Does he try? Sure. But that ain't enough. You don't win 
when you oh I gave it my all no, you need to you need to win you need to take that next step and do it and they just can't and they haven't seen it and they play a team that's not their style of play and they just they looked horrible absolutely horrible and some of the shots that they do take are not high yeah we got what 16 shots whatnot and it's like that's really low and you consider some of the quality of those shots they're bad they are low percentage just get it on net some of them are just to get a face off because they need a line change it's just just bad and Vorchek's one assist for the ice time he gets and the power play and all that can't have that no way not in a seven game series man if he's playing if he's going any of these guys we're talking about are the regular season form we could have won this series in six or one in game, one in seven. You know, if all, everything else goes our way. And they're just, they're not. And that's a massive problem. I noticed the Flyers' big bodies didn't want to stand in front of the goalie. Did you see the, the first couple goals Tampa Bay scored yesterday? Big bodies in front of Grice, and they were just blasting from the points. They, they stood in front of the goalie. They took his eyes out. Flyers, they couldn't do that for some reason. I don't know. I just don't understand. I, I Like I said, I have more questions and feeling a little bit more bitter at some of these guys. Now, the whole experience is a positive thing, but uh, after a couple days of reflecting, it's, uh, you know, I'm interested to see how some guys come back next year because they should come back with a fire lit under, under their ass, I think. Uh, Kyle, any guys stand out to you? Badly or good? Uh, whatever you want. Both if you want. Matt Niskanen played some bad friggin' hockey. Robert Hag and Braun played some bad, bad hockey. Where was the bottom six this entire playoffs, with the exception of Tyler Pitlick, who is not going to score for you? Like all the bottom six tore up round robin and then disappeared along with the top six, and that's just a recipe for losing a series. I couldn't believe we got past Montreal. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I did not like Braun's play, for sure. Niskanen, he's another guy we got, not just to make Provorov better and uh, any of our other defensemen, but for the playoff time. He's the only guy who's got to stand the cup ring. And he had some pretty rough penalties and pretty bad play. And he's the one who should know better. Um, yeah, he did have a nice goal at one point, but it's like you can't forget when 90% of the play is pretty rough off of that. You know, I mean, if you talk about leaning on guys defensively, that's why he was brought in here. And it, I expected a lot more out of him too. Uh, maybe, maybe you saw what the Islanders did to the uh, Capitals. Maybe his style of play just doesn't match up with theirs. And maybe we saw that, but he, he still could have made better decisions and been a little more responsible and not wound up in the box as often as he had. And you know what? To be honest, we are, you talk about the power play a lot. The penalty kill during the regular season was like top three. It did not look very good in any of these series. It just looked average, maybe a little bit above average. Um, it really has not looked good. And you know what? When you lose a special teams battle that lopsidedly, there's no way you're winning a series with that. Again, don't know how it got to game seven. Let me ask you guys something, because I think we could all agree that this Flyers team looked a lot different than team that we saw in the regular season even the round robin i heard a little bit of a a rumor i guess you want to call it off the twitter somebody that knows somebody that works in hotel x told him that the flyers were 
one of the more teams that like to drink and hang out while they were at Hotel X. He said, the older guys miss their family and the younger guys like to party, like to live it up in the bubble. Do you buy into any of that? I'll put it to this way, Jim. Guys are human. And a lot of people defending the Flyers right now are like, oh, they gave it everything they had. They had nothing left for game seven. Uh, The Islanders played, if you include the round robin, one less game than the Flyers. So why did they have all this energy and the Flyers didn't? Yeah, That's the question. Why were they completely gassed? Mm -hmm. And the Islanders, who were the ones flying all up and down the ice and in in and out of our zone and doing whatever they wanted, why were they perfectly fine and our guys were dead? Right. Make things that make you go, hmm. Well, that that's kind of what I'm like. Why does it look like they flip the switch? Like all of a sudden they don't know how to play more than a period. They don't know how to get back and back check. Like they're hunched over. They look like they're friggin' dying on the ice. There were a few times I wanted to go on Twitter and just be like, we need a Mike Keenan death skate for these guys. Now you never <laughs> do that in the playoffs, but like I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like they're just so outmatched. And are they like not? Did none of them have their legs under them? <laughs> like that's what made me silly. start to wonder a little bit. And I think Carter Hyde's birthday was while they were up there. And I had mentioned it looks like maybe they had a couple of too many uh, sodas or cupcakes, whatever, kind of hinting at maybe they all were drunk the night before. They had a night out drinking, and it just made me wonder a little bit, like because you hear stories about the Capitals, right? Have you guys heard any of that stuff? It was basically vacation. Oh, no, I didn't. For this year? No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, some stuff came out. that They were all in vacation mode up there. So it just made me wonder a little bit. And then it made me start to question the leadership on the team a little bit again. And I'm like, you know what? I could see it. I could see that happening. And the play on the ice kind of would, I don't know, make me want to believe that even more. They look like a totally different team. Well, we're on the same page there because I was definitely when that when people came out with that defense about, oh, I think they didn't have anything left. And why the Islanders have something left then? More yeah, than enough left. Why? Yeah. Like they're like these. Are we playing by different rules or something? Like no, we're not. So maybe the, maybe the bubble life got to them a little bit. They are human. If that's the case, I'll take it because that means when things go back to normal, hopefully this doesn't happen. That's but true. they definitely true. need to be more conditioned. Good point. Yeah, and that's what I was kind of, if I was being nice, ah, maybe they they came in out of shape, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I did want to kind of bring this up before we move on a little bit here for TK. Two players drafted the same year TK was drafted. Anthony Bavillier, Mark Bar- Barzal. Bavillier, eight, eight goals, four assists in 17 games. Matt Barzal, five goals, nine assists in 17 games during these playoffs. It's just disappointing. That's all. You know, Small this is sample our- size. Don't don't look into it too much. I mean, Barzell is on the fast track to be a superstar, but he went later than he should have. Boston screwed that one up. Yeah, Barzell should have been like the thirteenth player, twelfth player picked based on who was available. I mean, I was there was rumors we could take him at seven if Provorov went early. You know, TK. You got to remember he w- he went like twenty what second twenty one. Right um, when Giroux went, yeah. <laughs> and that was a very good draft. They're comparing this draft now to that draft. And when you're go- looking back on that draft, like that was a star studded draft. Um, yeah, it stings when you see it and you lose to those guys. 
I'm not going to say uh, Bavillier is better than Konechny by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I think he was, if you put him on another team, I don't think he does what he did. Barzell, different. Yes, he will. Um, well, let's see what happens, what we hear about Konechny, how he comes back, and the bubble thing that you brought up. I think he's got plenty left in the tank. I think the reason he is a fan favorite we'll see next year again. And he really hasn't had all that much playoff experience either, any real playoff experience. And, you know, you, you have to learn from this and move on. And if he's mature enough, and I think he is, you know, you'll you'll come around and you'll figure it out. He's still a young guy. Yeah, we, we would have liked to see him being the guy who stick handling through everybody, but he's not that style of player, you know. So we'll we'll have to see. Is is it concerning? A little bit, but I'm not losing sleep over it. Fair enough. Yeah, and I think regular season TK is a fine player. I don't dislike TK. I think he's a fun player to watch. I mentioned I went to a couple live games and he stood out to me offensively. He skates, he moves his feet. I'm just, I have questions about playoff Travis Konechny, that's all. Is he a guy that can consistently score in the playoffs? You know, and it's supposed to be big or dirty or greasier. Is he that kind of guy? Can you see him averaging point per game in the playoffs? I don't know if I can. That's all. Let's move on a little bit before I trash talk TK too much and start to lose listeners, God forbid. What what else do you guys have here? What are some topics you wanted to discuss? Well, I alluded to it earlier, and it's just a real quick thing. Um, did anybody else, and people got on Keith Jones a little bit. I think Keith Jones calls it how it is. I love Keith Jones. Yeah, I do too. I think, I think but Boucher... <laughs> Boucher was doing everything he could to remind us that, yeah, I played in Philly, but I call this game nationally because he was so hard on Hart. For a guy who literally carried us to these seven games, he was awfully hard on him. One game in particular where Hart had one like iffy goal, and Bill Meltzer came out with this tweet, and he goes, yeah, Hart's got a couple he probably went back, and Bill Meltzer's tweet is, what couple? There was one goal. Why are you making it worse than it seems? And it seems anything went against Hart. He was all over him. Like, oh, his positioning. Oh, he needs to deflect that this way. He needs to cover this up. He needs to see through the defenseman. And da-da-da. so, Jesus, Brian, you are not that good of a goalie in any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Relax. Not to mention, how old is Hart? Did he just turn twenty-one? He's playing in a bubble. Like, back off, dude. My God. I mean, am I the only one who knows that Boucher was? Awfully hard on heart. I'm not even gonna say the Flyers. Heart. No, I think a lot of Flyers Twitter acknowledged that. For, you know what I noticed about myself is I kind of start to block these guys out. Like I don't remember what they say, or I log I log on Twitter and you know guys are trashing Jones or Boucher, and I'm like I don't remember hearing any of that. And I'm well, like, you know am I listening? Yeah, uh, well, I definitely heard it with Boucher because yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not doubting it. I'm just well, uh, Mel, but Meltzer brought it up and it kind of like reminded. Like, he really said that, like Jesus. But people got on Keith Jones. I was like, no, no, no. Keith Jones was calling it how it is. Yeah. He didn't go overboard. He's he even said it. Uh, I heard him on the 94.1 today calling from the bubble. He was like, they asked him about that, and he just said it, it was like, well, I would have liked to have said some nice things about the Flyers, except for there wasn't a whole lot of nice stuff to say. And could you argue with that? Because I can't. Yeah. You know, but Boucher went after Hart and shockingly, they played the same position. And it was like, hmm, came like, up later. how are you going to get on one of our he was one of my top three players for the series. <laughs> like, why you? Yeah. Was he perfect? God, no. But why is that the guy that you're killing? 
it's yeah. it was stupid. It was really stupid, and it got on my nerves because I've always liked Bruce Jay, even what he, what he's doing now. I don't know where this came from. I don't know if he's trying to make a point, but it was stupid. Uh, other than that, there is one more thing I wanted to bring up. I almost forgot about it. It's been going around on Twitter, and I know Jim. I'm sure you want to talk about this too. Alevin, uh, yo, I want your thoughts on his handling of this series. I didn't like it. I knew you were going to say that. If you know, I mean, you guys maybe know what you're watching a little bit more than I do. It looked like he changed the system up. He changed their style of play. That's what it looked like to me. And it's like, why would you do that? Like, don't you want to dictate pace? Like, why do you want these guys going out there and questioning what decisions they're making? You know, why, why change things up? Just play your game. Make the other team adjust to you. I had a lot of questions. I questioned his, his challenges. Uh, I tried to understand why he would do them. And I get the Islanders' power play is not great, so you think that your chances are just as good shorthanded. But playing shorthanded, you're taking away opportunities for your own team to score. I don't know. I have a, I have questions about Elaine Vigneault. He's somebody that... See, we're not going to see playoff AV again until next playoffs, obviously. So throughout the course of the regular season, I, I would assume he just goes back to how they were playing before. And now I'm a little bit, I don't want to call it, I don't want to say scared, but I'm a little bit cautious or I don't know if I have full faith in playoff AV because of what, I, of what we just saw, you know? And I hate that I'm questioning the guy, but it's like, what the fuck you doing, man? Like, just just play your game. Because now everyone everyone else is questioning what they're doing. They don't know what they're supposed to do. So that's all. There are two things I've noticed from Vigneault's past teams that this team doesn't have. Vancouver had two superstars. Excuse me, the Sedin twins. We don't have those players. We talked about that with Barzell. With the Rangers teams, I mean, we thought we had this, but he had some pretty stud bottom, like, three and fourth lines that really changed... The reason why the Flyers lost in the first round of playoffs the year when we went to Game 7 with them, that they were scoring more goals almost than their top guys, and it carried them through the playoffs. This team lacked both of those, and it seemed like as the Islander series went on, I thought he made three challenges, and two of them he, had a ch- he really had a chance, especially the first one. He, probably, he should have won the first two, and he didn't. Knowing that, why on God's green earth did he challenge that third one that turned a 2-1 game into a 3-2 game in the Islanders' favor? And I think he lost confidence in his own team. I, I really so do. And one thing that really gets on my nerves a little bit is I, you questioned it, and I agree with you, Jim. What about Terry in here and how horrible this power play was? So many people came out against Vigneault. I was like, you know how the chain of command works? Like, he's in charge of the power play. You go after him first. If it's not working, then you move up the ladder. No, no, it's the coach's fault. It's all the coach. Like, according to that, mindset we'll just fire fletcher then because he hired Vigneault, or we'll go up farther we'll hire fire dave scott like it was idiotic it's, it's on the players but you can't fire the players so you go to the coach they had the worst power play performance i've seen in quite some time and you were just going to skip over tarion like I, get, he goes first then you move on to Vigneault. i haven't seen anything questioned about tarion at all and you that know, power play was a massive problem good point and, bringing up terry in there because he also controls how they play defensively, doesn't he? He's he's in charge of the defense. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, because I know that uh, Yao is the uh, penalty kill, uh, and I forget what else. I can't remember their secondary duties. I really care about the special teams because special yeah. teams is a huge problem. 
But to get back to the point is I think that Vigneault lost confidence in his team because they were thoroughly outplayed. And let's say with overtimes, they played 24 periods. And I've said this before. I think they won maybe three or four periods, maybe five. That's a lot of periods to lose. And they would do it back to back. And the only periods they won, you got to give them three wins in overtime periods. Like, how about regulation? How could you have confidence in your team? And it was that last challenge that had no chance of being overturned. No That's chance. When he slid into heart, right? Uh, yeah. You could see he was pushed. Like, it was, it was stupid. And you already lost two challenges where you probably should have won. But the point is, if you didn't win those, what makes you think you're going to win this one that has literally no chance? It was desperation. That's the only thing that makes sense. Nothing's going right. You can't have this game be tied. And he goes for that, hoping that they just kill off the penalty. They don't. Now you're in a hole. It's it's amazing they won that game at all. And that's what I saw. And he'll never obviously admit that, but... Not, not to mention, there's one more thing that we're not talking about and we really haven't talked about, but how about when he was asked about what was going on outside of the bubble with the Black Lives Matter and the shootings and all that, and his answer was not satisfying to everybody because he was like, I'm in the bubble, I'm not really paying attention, da, 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 da. they didn't like that. He was not sensitive enough and it became a story. I think that weighed on him a little bit. I think it affected him. I can't say how. All I can say is he's human and he's living in the bubble and all that. And he had, it was something he had to handle. I'm sure for a while there, it was on the back of his mind. It was in the back of his mind. Sure. And then now you're watching everything. You're clearly being outplayed. And no matter what you do, it's not working. Drew scores. Maybe he'll come out of a shell. He doesn't. You know, Konechny never scores. Borchek got you through the Montreal series and just said, see you later. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so what do you do? You change up uh, Elliot for Hart, you still lose the game. You know, it, it's, it, it, Grassman has straws. And your power play is still not going. Your penalty kill is not nearly as good as it was. Your team has no energy, no legs. You're taking penalties. Uh, yeah, to be I honest, we, we said that the Islanders don't take penalties. There was penalty plenty of times they probably should have been called for penalties, especially high sticks, and they weren't. And that, I mean, you can't put the games on the refs, and I never would, but it, it's another thing that you just go, Jesus, like, what are we supposed to, what can we do here? And I think he lost confidence in his team and his way of playing. And I think he started making interesting, bad decisions. And I think that last review showed it. And a combination of not having the veteran presence and the coaching and the bounces and all that, just it just snowballed. And then game seven was bound to happen. And we were lucky it made it that far. Yeah. I think I agree with you about he could have answered that question better couldn't he have if even if even if he answered it selfishly ah, oh, tell them what they want to hear this way it's not a distraction for my team don't so maybe he did kind of mess up there you know and it ended up being a distraction if not for the team definitely for him you know because it's something else he had to think about he's not focused on the game yeah i don't know all in all do you would you guys say that this was a good experience for this team to get to game seven of the second round, or would you say that, you know, knock on wood, this scenario that they're in in a bubble with no fans will never happen again. Do you think it's not beneficial because they still have to go in next year, hopefully play in front of, you know, 20,000 fans. It's a whole different environment. You know, does it, is it a plus or, or does it matter? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's nice to get, 
the kids because we had an abundance of them with no playoff experience whatsoever. Playoff experience in a bubble, out of a bubble, whatever. It's just important to get them in games like that so they can learn not just what it takes because I think they learn real fast that what they were putting out effort-wise was not anywhere close to what it takes to win in the playoffs. But from everything, from positionally to what they need to accomplish to get better at during the regular season and in the offseason to go into the playoffs and be effective, I think it's very important. I agree. Jack, what do you think? Yeah, I think anytime you make it to the playoffs and you play and you win, it's a good. You know, they, they swept the round robin. You you know it had playoff implications. Those may not have been playoff games, but some of those goals counted as playoff goals, so it must have meant something. Uh, you beat Montreal. Were they a playoff team? No, but listen, that was not easy, and they did beat Pittsburgh. So that's something. You took the Islanders, who have been a thorn on a lot of teams' side, not just the Flyers. Look what they did, too, with the Capitals. Took them to Game 7 when you really had no business going to Game 7. You showed resiliency, at least. They... I cannot say in any way, shape, or form that this was a bad experience. It was a learning experience for sh- as well. I don't think we honestly, once the playoffs actually started and we saw what happened with Montreal, I don't think any of us thought, oh, they're going to the cup, they're going to win. Maybe when, you know, the way the season ended and we saw how the round robin was going, some of us might have been like, ah, okay. Uh, but we saw that that was real quickly we saw that was not the case. But... There were young guys like Farabee was in and out of the lineup, but you know, when he was in, he did was somewhat productive, more productive than TK. You know, I think he had more goals than Drew. I mean, that's saying something. Could he last the entire series? No, but he's super young. He got the experience. Hart is one of the best stories. Look how good he played. You know, he got a lot, and he was angry when they asked him about that that series after game seven. That is going to show next year. I think Broveroff and Hart. They definitely had great experiences, and it's going to mean a lot going forward. TK should have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and that can that can be a good thing, you know, because then you have something to play for. Next year, round one, playoffs, TK, if he's healthy, he should be flying because he doesn't want to go through what he went through this year. You want to get, get that monkey off your back, get rolling, you know. Um, and a bunch of other guys got some questions they got to answer too. Giroux and Voracek, they can't lean on the fact that we don't have the supporting cast anymore because we do. You know, Coots has to step it up offensively. You're the guy. You're about to get paid to be the guy. So if you really want that payday, come playoff time, it's time to step it up. And we saw what happened in this playoffs, and guess what? That's not enough. You're, you could be the captain one day, and your $4.5 million is about to be 10 or 11 or whatever the hell they're going to give them. You want that money. If I'm an agent or I'm the Fletcher, rather, talking to the agent, um, but say, yeah, you're, you're worth it, it during the regular season, but how about the playoffs when it actually matters? Right. You think I'm going to pay this guy $10 million? I mean, a lot, you're, you're, you're heart and soul on my team, but I didn't see much soul in the playoffs. Uh, you win with points. Your defense is great. You win with points. If you can't score, then what does it matter? I agree. And uh, playing guys like Barzell, it made me question. Actually, it didn't make me question. Because I don't think that Sean Couturier is a is a National Hockey League star. He's not somebody that I would fear if he was on another team. I recognize how good he is. I think he's an elite defensive center. He can score, obviously, 30 goals, 40 assists, 
First player since John LeClaire to do that back to, or I'm sorry, 30 goals, 70 plus points. First player to do it uh, since John LeClaire back to back seasons. But I don't fear Sean Couturier, you know? Yeah, I fear, I, mean, I would fear a superstar. I feared Matt Barzell. Matt Barzell is a budding superstar. I would fear Braden Point. I fear guys like that. Those are superstars. I don't fear Sean Couturier. Not offensively. Did you, I mean, you're not going to fear a guy where his, top skill is shutting down like one of your centers. You know what I mean? Like if I'm the penguins back in the day when they were rolling, Oh, well, Katori is going to be all over Malkin. Well, we still got Crosby, you know right. I mean? Like unless he's making a difference on the school, I mean, he is by not letting them score, but that was back when he was making little to nothing. Now that he's going to be making bank or should be, you know, you're going to need a lot more than that. Because defensive, offensive, defensive play only gets you so far. It's when you can pitch in with the offense that you become a superstar. He's not Bergeron. Bergeron scored in the playoffs when it matters, and that's why he has a ring. It's not the only reason, but he's a major reason. And we have not seen that in the playoffs. He looked like he was starting to get going, but again, he was another guy who was how many games in before he started scoring and then he gets hurt. It's like, come on. This was Kutz's time. I mean, I know, he, I know he had a kid. I know he's human. I know, you know, he's not there for the for the kids first. He, he had the kid just before he left, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be so. a dad. Like Kyle, you could probably, like, if you have, if let's say you have Kyle, you have baby Kyle, and you have to be away from him for the first month or two of his life. What's that do to your mentality, your psyche? That has to mess with you, right? For me personally, um, everybody's different, but I can't be away from my kid for an extended period of time. I hate it. I can't fucking stand it. If I get a couple days here and there away from him, it's nice. It's a refresher. If I get more than a week away from him, I'm losing my shit. So it would take an extreme toll on me personally. So I can't imagine what it would do to somebody who just had a baby and again like i don't know what it's like to have a kid but i think through the first month or so like you're really supposed to be around the kid a lot and blah 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 not blah 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 just i just don't know i don't know what to say i don't know what that feels like so i would imagine that weighs on him a little bit so i'm gonna cut him a little bit of a break but for me i i would like to see sean couturier Take this team over. It's his team. He's in his prime. He's 27, going on 28, I, I think, for next season. It's time. It's, this is Sean Couturier's team. You know, so all the guys and girls out there want to bring up Claude Giroux. That's fine. I understand it because he's making the most money. Jake Voracek, again, I get it. This is Sean Couturier's team. He's the number one guy. If there is a star on the roster, anybody close to it, it's Sean Couturier. I don't know. He needs to perform in the big games. That's all I'm saying. Not hating on the guy. I love Sean Couturier. One of my favorite players on the team. Anybody that can bust their ass defensively the way he does and put the puck in the net, how can you not appreciate a guy like that? But I need to see, I want to see him take the reins. A little bit disappointed. Again, I know he's human, so I can't say anything bad. But I, I, I want to see more from, from Coots. In the playoffs. I don't know. That's just me, guys. 
Yeah, it was a it was a rough situation with that, and hopefully next year that's not an issue. We can see what we expected to see. I mean, that does suck, but like when you're playing uh, and you're giving it your all, like is that on your mind? Like when I play, I don't think very much at all. Again, not a father, but I'm also not making millions of dollars either. So I mean, I, I would figure when you're when you're away in your hotel room, sure, by all means, I get that. But when you're actually playing the game and you're in a tight game, an important game where you think want to win, is that even popping up in your head? I, I don't know. I, I give him a, some slack, obviously, I've, but I'm not going to say it's a complete pass either. The part that really confuses me is because I was questioning the desire of this team to remain in the bubble when they were down three to one. I'm like, yeah, does, does the desire to go home outweigh the desire to force a game seven and win it you know because they're human it's like man we got to do all this work just to force a game seven in advance or i could go home and bang my wife tomorrow you know what i mean so the fact that they forced a game seven i'm like okay i guess they want to be here and then came out and do what they did in the game seven really confused me a lot so thank god it's over with so we don't have to watch that stuff anymore jack you mentioned a couple guys carter hart Joel Farabee, Phil Myers even. These guys stood out in very positive ways. I know a lot of the show was kind of meh. The Flyers got eliminated. It's going to be a meh show. There's a lot to be hopeful for, a lot to be positive about with this team. Glad you mentioned Joel Farabee. I don't know why I always seem to kind of forget about him on this team. Hell of a player. I love what he brings to the team. He's only 20, 21 years old. He's going to be, he's. He could have a really solid year next year. I keep forgetting that he's on the friggin' team. Joel Farabee, man. Phil Myers, I expect to take a jump. Uh, Carter Hart, 21 year, 22 years old, playing the way he did. I'm blown away. I think a lot of us were expecting his first year to, you know, we were waiting for the sophomore slump or, you know, when's the second half slump going to come? Never did, right? Then he comes out and he shows out in the playoffs. We got a stud goalie, guys. Thank God. Uh, we're coming up on an hour here. Kyle has a fantasy football draft, so I don't want to run this too long. Kyle, who are you taking the first pick? Who are you the first pick? I don't know because I'm picking 10th, so I'll see who's available at that point. Do you prefer Baker, to pick early or later in the draft? In the round? I would honestly, with a snake draft, I'd prefer first overall, obviously, because then every other round you pick back-to-back. So you get to knock out two players of choice back-to-back. And if you were, you would take McCaffrey if you were one overall. We talked. Oh about yeah, that. that ain't even a question at this point. All right. Well, I've been this idiot for that got the first overall pick is like I'm gonna pick my homes. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> well, let's wrap up, guys. It was kind of a somber show. Hopefully, you guys still listened all the way to this point. They didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Next week we'll be back and. We'll kind of start to get into some off-season moves, trades, free agency, draft even a little bit. So we'll be a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more exciting next week, guys. Anything that we forgot to mention here before we wrap up? No, I I would literally just finish with regardless of how much it hurt the way it ended. It was still a fun ride. God, it was ridiculous with my probably going to have heart problems after that, but the future is bright. It's really bright. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, like we have some issues we have to get through and we'll get into that. 
but ultimately it's a bright future for this team. Let's not forget that as much as a stung, it's a really, really good future going forward. I wonder if that helps the guys too. Gives them a chip for next year. These young guys got, we talk about Vegas. We don't want them to win a cup for a while, right? Because they're brand new. Maybe it's kind of like that for some of our guys. They have to experience pain before they can experience the glory. So hopefully they can grow and learn from it. All right. We have HW Full Circle coming Monday, Jack. Yes, sir. Make sure you guys look out for that. We have, we're recording with Derek Settlemeyer tomorrow night, so be on the lookout for that episode this weekend. Got the bright side with Josh Bright coming out Friday. Doing an article on top five flyer targets I would like them to trade for. This is my wish list, guys. Mine. So it's not, you know, what I think is going to happen. Just something I would like to see happen. So don't trash it too much. I know you're already, you guys can't wait to do that. So look for that. Hopefully later on in the week, we're going to wrap up. And we'll, we'll talk next week, guys. Thanks for listening. Oh